Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 13, Sean Ginwright, Soul Rebel, Act 2, recorded November 16th, 2017, in Oakland, California. Screaming about irrevocability Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches And fight our own way free Cause the rules don't lie but they don't apply to people like you and me Let's start it up now 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out and the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives aloud are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Hey, hey, TA listeners. Initially, when I wrote the introduction to this act, I wrote, the first thing was, I wrote that I'm angry. But I just got out of class with my graduate students at the new school, and I'm not so angry. I'm actually hopeful. The class that I teach at the new school is called the Arts and Community, and I have 12 really stellar, smart, innovative, thoughtful joyous, uh, cool (laughs) artists of all different arts disciplines working together as a cohort in my class. They treat each other pretty well. They're kind and they really have big hearts. In today's class, we were um, reviewing and reflecting on um, the sessions across the, the semester as we're winding down towards the final projects. Uh, and after some time where they were doing some individual reflecting, a small group reflecting, we were talking as a whole group. And I asked them to share out one big, hairy, scary question that they have that just is rattling around and uh, a big uh, blue sky or pie in the sky idea. And what I thought was very powerful and why I think I'm, I'm hopeful at the moment is that they are, there are, their questions are wonderfully juicy and terribly hard to answer, but, but that's good. Um, and that their big blue sky ideas were actually, I think quite tangible. I mean, yes, you know, how do you get something like that? But they are thinking about how can we bring arts into specific uh, communities? And and I thought that their ideas were really strong. One of the ideas made me think about a big, hairy, scary question that I'm, I'm thinking about that's rattling around my brain is how can the arts permeate more aspects of our society than it already does. 
And one of the ideas that came up was about how we can bring more artistic practices into the workplace, more specifically into the political workspace at the top levels. And, you know, frankly, filtering it down. But that's that was one of the ideas was could we utilize some of the you know experiences that we had in this class? Could some of those experiences be part of a working uh, protocol for government officials? And if so, wouldn't that help? Uh, help them build some community amongst each other, help them um, find stronger and better ways to work with each other and ultimately build empathy for the people that they are supposed to be serving. Uh, So when I came into thinking about this big, hairy, crazy, scary idea about that I had thinking about it visually as like um, uh, uh, shining lights in different aspects of our uh, uh, society from the military to healthcare to immigration, etc. Um, to like you, the utility of arts actually helping us do our jobs better and be better to each other, and thereby potentially changing how we interact with each other and how our society actually is made, and helping democracy. <laughs> That's where I'm at, y'all. That's where I'm at. empathy, radical healing, love. Art is at the epicenter of all of that, I believe. And we have a job to do. Let's get it. Let's rethink some of the paradigms that we have right now and innovate and change because I, for one, am am tired. I'm tired of seeing ugly things being done by people who I don't know are actually ugly people. Maybe they are, but I think fear has gotten us to a place that some people could potentially cannot come back from. But what if they had more arts in their lives? What if we were able to really engage through arts in all different capacities to find a way to see each other more fully and less in these tribes. Is that possible? I don't know, but I want to find out and I want to try. Again, I don't know how to do this. That's why it's a big, hairy, scary question, but I think we need to be aspirational, just like we talk about in karma. This is my aspiration. Oh, this is my aspiration. So in this episode... Sean and I discuss our stories uh, of after the 2016 election. He shares some ideas and advice of how to address um, some of the things that I'm talking about and ways to um, take care or self-care, self, yeah, self-care um, in what can feel like really dark times. I think he's like a guru, but that's another story. <laughs> So here is episode 13, Sean Jinwright, Soul Rebel, Act 2. I often think about two things. Um, in preparing for you to be a part of our, um, our 
professional development um, program last year, we met, uh, we planned over the phone monthly. Mm -hmm. And then I got to see you in Chicago and uh, you had a a pre, uh, like a Uh pre-conference whole day session, which I felt like we got real deep Mm -hmm. in, in, you know, just six hours. There were some really amazing things that happened for me uh, and for other people. I've seen other people who were in that session Mm -hmm. since then and still talk about it. Mm. Um, That was a week before the election last year. And we had a planning meeting the day after the election Mm. over the phone. I recall, do you recall this? Before, we were saying, well, all right, we're getting ready for this election. And, and we all sort of had no concept. Right. Or we didn't allow ourselves to think about what would happen if, if yeah. the person that we that ended up winning would win. Do you remember that moment? I do. Yeah. So, <laughs> so just as a prelude, yes. I think you came to the session on Friday a little a little late. I was late, you're okay. right. So the reason I say that is because the story I tell mm. that introduced that day mm. that we were about the story that I tell is this story about how what happened my what was happening in my life on the Tuesday after or the Wednesday the after. Wednesday after yeah. And it has a lot to do with my daughter and what I what I call a more beautiful struggle which she taught me, right? So anyway, I'm just giving you that because your, your, your questioning about before and after, mm-hmm. um, yes, is very vivid. and mm-hmm. It's a very vivid experience. Yeah, I would love for you to tell that story, mainly because I, I did miss it, but also <laughs> I'd love it's to. probably what I was about to ask you. So That's, that's what you're going to ask me. It was. So um, right after the election, um, I was in... I had to teach like uh, that Tuesday, that Wednesday or Thursday after the election. It's actually this time of year, right? It was it was no early November. Um, we're mid November now. Um, it was warm. It was a warm night, and so in my graduate seminar, I was teaching, and they stopped me and said, "Hey, how do, how can you? Are we going to talk about the chapter when we're you know what's going on here? We need to stop." And so they we stopped and. My graduate students began processing not just what happened, but how they felt, their emotions. They cried. Some of them were afraid because of the immigration status. Some of them were afraid uh, for just so much was going on emotionally, right? It was a healing circle. And so at one point, I I just kind of was listening, and my graduate student turned to me and said, Dr. Jenright, you write about hope all the time. What do you do in times like this? And so she called me out because I wasn't feeling hopeful. I was feeling hopeless. I was feeling angry. I was all this stuff was going. But she she said that to me and I didn't have anything smart, pithy, or insightful to say. I don't even remember what I said. But I felt like, damn, I let him down, right? Mm-hmm. So as I was so I left class feeling like shit, you didn't do what you're supposed to do as a teacher. You're supposed to be inspiring. You teach about hope, and you, like, how bad are you as a? I mean, just all the bad mm-hmm. stuff. And I was driving over the bridge, from San Francisco to Oakland to here to downtown Oakland, and the city hall is where you got out at at mm-hmm. city center. Mm-hmm. And my wife sent me a text, right, and said, um, 
I need you to pick up your daughter from school um, because she stayed afterwards to hang out with her friends. Mm -hmm. So I went downtown and I found a parking spot where you got out and I opened the door to my car and I heard this, something I never heard before. It was like I had parked next to this, a football stadium and it was like, was that it was like thousands of people and so as I walked around the corner and I began and I entered into what's called Franco Gallo Plaza which is a city hall plaza there must have been 20,000 people all there singing and chanting with candles and drums right and speakers and they were just there and I couldn't find my daughter because it was so many people. And she sent me a text and said, I'm over here by this thing. And so I found her and I said, she hates crowds. So I said, hey, babe, it's time, let's go. And she said, no, dad, I want to stay. And so as we were talking, the crowd, and this is thousands of people, mm -hmm. poured out onto Broadway, mm -hmm. the main street, mm -hmm. and they closed it down. And they began marching with drums and music and singing and holding strangers' hands and listening to music. And my daughter was, was in it, right? Mm -hmm. And then she turned to me and she said, as we were listening to the chanting and the music behind us, she said, turned to me and said, Dad, this is going to be a beautiful struggle. <laughs> and I was hopeful again. Oh, that's wonderful. And, and, and that changed me. It changed me. Yeah. I, 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 while I'm here in this era of this president, I'm still hopeful. I have to be because my daughter is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she's introducing beauty into this in a way that I couldn't have imagined. You see what I'm saying? I totally see what you're saying. And so when she said that, it made me think, okay, what is a beautiful struggle? And how might I do it? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. how, might I, how might I engage in a way of humanizing the society in a way that's beautiful, that adds, that, huma, huma, you know, that uh, humanizes us, mm -hmm. right? So I don't have the complete answer to that, right? Yeah. But I'm hopeful that she's taken a piece of what I've had and made it her own now. And I don't have to worry about that. So, I'll tell you my story. <laughs> okay, so I didn't see the results. I, I was at a friend's house. Mm -hmm. I went home around 11.30 and just went straight to bed and woke up uh, thinking either I'll be pleasantly surprised or not. And I wasn't. And um, I went numb. Mm. I went completely numb, and the next day we had an education performance, mm. and I I'm not usually scheduled for them, but I was that day, and so I just went to work, and we got a we got a message, um, like an all staff message saying come to the boardroom, um, at at like ten fifteen. Well, we have to be at the Ed show to start the to prep at nine forty five, so I couldn't go to that event, um, so everybody was down. Uh, the ushers were down, the staff were down, and I was just like, we just, we have a job to do. That's what, it, and, and we're going to do it. 
um, the, sh- the performance that the kids were coming to see was a show that was a one-man dance performance, and it was about a, a Bangladeshi choreographer who now lives in London, but um, is like struggling with who he is now versus who he was, and um, his, his uh, relationship with his father, who is an immigrant, so he's a first-generation um, mm-hmm. uh, person in the UK. And it's all through movement, and there's a little bit of text that's recorded, and then there's this animation. So the kids start coming. So so some people do go to the that event, and I happen to see people walking back in to the theater, you know, puffy-eyed, tears streaming down their face, and I'm still just like, we've got a job to do. I feel nothing. And the kids start coming in, and, you know, kids are kids. And they, they don't, they're not behaving like everybody else. So they're sort of like excited to be there. And, you know, we finally, the show starts and, um, I, I sit down and the lights go down and light, uh, you know, the lights in the house go down and the kids are kind of excited. And, you know, in the, I don't know if you've ever been in a, a, a house where there's 500 kids, but the lights go out and everybody starts screaming mm-hmm. and it's hilarious and scary mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then the lights come up on stage and we're in it. And within the first, I'd say, five minutes, this man is moving in ways that are just, like, unbelievable. And I have this moment of, like, okay, now I'm in the dark, and this beautiful show is happening, and I'm watching it, and I'm thinking, my God, he's, he's moving. His movements are beautiful. This is beautiful. Oh, my God, the world. The world needs beauty. The, 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 he's going to take away the arts. The arts. We need the arts. Oh. And I just start bawling, and I'm just like... We can't allow mm. beauty to be taken away. We have to find, mm. we have to figure out the beauty. And this is, this is what like, I'm supposed to be where I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that these young people see that there's beauty despite mm-hmm. what's coming down the pike. And I had no idea exactly what was coming down the pike. But, uh, you know, it's been pretty shitty. Mm-hmm. Um but all uh, at the heart of it, though, that, that idea of that beautiful struggle, it has it has been a struggle, absolutely. But that that sense of hope that you're talking about, mm-hmm. um, seeing work on stage like that has been part of the hope. Um, working with the young people has been part of the hope. Um, working with my colleagues who, despite everything, you know, we still laugh and, and you know, uh, believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing that happened that day, later that day, was that we were on the phone with you mm. and, and our uh, colleagues at Carnegie Hall. And oh, really? Yes, that was the same day. And, wow. uh, and in fact, there was an email thread that was like, do we still want to have this, this phone call? And I knew just how hard it was to schedule all of us. So I was like, let's just have it. And, it, and you even said, like, let's just have it. And then whatever it ends up being is what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't think we planned anything. I, I barely remember you talking, but mm-hmm. you were talking the most and I was just bawling. <laughs> and whatever it is that you said, you, you said something to the effect of like, I'm going to do a social media diet or something like that. And like, do whatever it is to take care of yourself and to take care of the people around you. And I, and I remember being like, all of them, be like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's great. Thank you. And you were so calm that it was really, like, exactly what I needed in that moment. So I just want to thank you for that. Oh. Because that that was the start of the journey of yeah. where we are <laughs> right now. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And it gets, it gets highly toxic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
we had a really, really, I don't want to say dangerous place, but we are. I mean, that's the fact. Um, and here's the challenge. I'm, and I challenge you, Lindsay, New Vic, even my, our, our chief flourish officer mm -hmm. and my partner. We're not, it's not dangerous simply because it's not dangerous simply because the president has a particular toxic ideology and is incompetent. That's not the danger. The danger is that we have a zero-sum game in Washington. Mm -hmm. And we deeply believe as a society that whoever is in gets all the prize and nobody else gets shit. Mm -hmm. And here's what I mean by that. If it, if it turns to become a dim house executive branch and even judiciary, it's a zero sum game for, for lots of people. Mm -hmm. They feel like us, that's not healthy. Mm -hmm. Does this make sense? Mm -hmm. We are feeling, I believe, we are feeling the flip of what conservatives felt with Obama. We're afraid. Mm -hmm. We're deeply afraid. We're concerned, we're angry. You know, there's maybe not completely because there's a lot of deeply seated racism in, involved with that. Mm -hmm. But my point is, is that what happened, the dangers is that when we, when our society begins to fray, the democracy begins to fray away, right? It begins to go like this. And when it goes into tribalism, that's when it's not a society anymore. And there's major points of evidence where this has happened in other countries and the ingredients are already here. Yeah, yeah. And so unless, unless our politics adopts a more humane understanding about democracy, and if we don't do that, it doesn't matter. Right? And that's the thing that we have our politics shouldn't our politics shouldn't demonize people because they're Republican mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or dim or progressive mm -hmm. or liberal. Like I when someone says that, then we say you're an evil person. Mm -hmm. You're the enemy. Right? And that's not healthy for democracy. Is to is to assign deeply held values to someone based on a damn political party. So when we do that, we begin to whittle away the, the, the threads of our democracy begin to kind of pull apart. Mm -hmm. That's my concern. And so for me and my, this work, it makes it even more important for me mm -hmm. to like figure out you know, this notion of healing, like healing our democracy, healing our conversations, healing the way we show up, healing the way we work with young people, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Of course I'm progressive. Right, I'm liberal, very liberal, progressive, mm -hmm. social justice progressive. But I also, I mean, uh, understand that there's not a zero sum game. Mm -hmm. So. So what? So what are you said? You know, I'm I'm telling people. So what are the actions to help us work towards that in in this time of the zero sum game at the political level? I mean, I think. You know, I haven't said this publicly, um, but I'll say <laughs> I guess this is going to be public. Um, I think Van has tried it, 
you know, on his platform. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, I think we need to enter uncommon spaces and uncommon conversations. We need, we need to hear of each other across difference. Um, We need, (laughs) we need radical healing, right? I need to be able to hear from you and see you, see your humanity show up. So for example, White rural folks across the country mm-hmm. are deeply suffering. Their their suicide rate is is high, if not higher than it was with the black crack epidemic, right? Okay. It's off the charts. They're suffering from a disinvestment in jobs and infrastructure. And so the same thing that happened in, that, that's happening in black urban America is already happening in white rural America. That conversation hasn't happened. So if a brother, young black boy from East Oakland has a conversation with a, a 70-year-old white dude, boy, a, a white man from, you know, from the Appalachian Mountains, mm-hmm. there's some commonality about their experience about alienation. There's a common experience mm-hmm. of, of fear. There's a common experience. And so there's a conversation, a courageous conversation that I think we haven't yet created or figured out how to have. Um, but I do think that by doing that, we are able to then see each other differently. So that's, I, I don't know how you do that, yeah. right? I don't know how yeah. you do that. But I, but you ask like, okay, what do you do? So, I mean, I'm not doing that yet, right? but I, I think that I would like to explore how to do that. Um, I think just on a personal basis, I think, you know, Living here in the Bay Area, it's difficult to have conversations with people who don't think like me. Mm. It's hard to do. Yeah. Like, I can't, like, go to a coffee shop and go talk to, like, um, a Republican or someone who's conservative, even. It's hard to find just that. You know, I'm at a university, the most liberal university in the country. I'm at San Francisco State University. I live in San- the Bay Area. I work, So it's hard to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, even, so even that. I still think it's important to try to have conversations with people mm-hmm. across that. Mm-hmm. You know, you could drive out to Sacramento and other places in California to do that, but here in the Bay Area bubble, it's hard to do that. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, uh, you know, we're all in this boat. So we are, we are. I, I, I never, I've never really considered myself like an activist or somebody who. Uh, reached out to their government and I always voted always sort of paid attention to the news but getting involved was not necessarily the thing that I I would do as as a common practice this year I've definitely have have stepped into that and I don't I, I don't I see some of like Brad and Signe both of them are definitely like mm-hmm. in it and and thank goodness I'm on uh listservs and and get mm-hmm. uh lots and lots of information um I will say that the thing that has been interesting for me in this year is exactly that, the idea of how, uh, I was talking about this before, how your voice actually does matter. Um, And I've been trying to figure out how I can help young people as well Mm -hmm. understand that their voices matter for, uh, whether it's, you know, on an individual basis or in a larger, more social justice, political Mm -hmm. basis, um, civic engagement. And, um, and that comes through some of my work, that, so mm-hmm. it's not a, a, on a constant basis, but it has been happening. Um, 
one of the things that I'm I'm curious about in uh, in in continuing to heal and continuing to grow uh, and be hopeful um, and thrive in a time where this I think that we are living with trauma um, mm-hmm. and figuring out ways that we can um, continue. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I'm curious about though is is going back to the arts piece for mm-hmm. me. Um, when I, you know, in the different touch points that I've worked with you, whether it's at a conference or with the teaching artist, this last session, yes, I came in a little late from the, for the lecture, but I, I was there for the rest of the session. It was very different. I, I felt like it was, I mean, it, it felt very, very different compared to the other sessions Mm -hmm. what has changed for you or why did you make that shift for this particular session sorry can you describe it and then also why so this the last session we did was um well the framing you saw the framing right so the framing was about you know sort of the radical healing model and how toxicity has an influence on us and then how do we how do we intentionally build, you know, how do we rupture that process? And one way that we can rupture it is in our ability to imagine and dream and create. Mm-hmm. And that our ability to imagine and dream and create is a radical act of justice, right? And that is not some luxury that we one day will do or wishful fantasal, fant, fantas, fantiful, 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 fantastical, fant, fan, I don't know. Uh. Fanciful? Fanciful, there you go. (laughs) Fanciful thinking, right? It's not just that. It is actually serious work to think, to imagine, to dream, and to hold on to it Mm -hmm. in times like this. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is, is we tend to fight, struggle, resist the thing. And when you fight, struggle, and resist the thing, you're still tied to it. You're connected to that. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And we need to fight. we, we got to do that work. But it is not the entire equation. It's not. That's the thing, mm-hmm. Courtney. I'm real strongly about that. Mm-hmm. So how do we then do it? How do we? So then this then was uh, an opportunity for us to experiment with dreaming and imagining in a physical, like, really way. Or, like, in a, just, we'll do it. Like, you know, I'm, if I was in a room of, um, you know, science teachers <laughs> or, or um, you know, but we're in a room of artists, right? And so we wanted to actually maximize that, right? Like, how do we actually really, really do it? And so it was a, we, we just, we, we tried to, we, we kind of created this thing. So, so um, Jen is a friend of ours mm-hmm. who's done this work before. So we wanted to just try it. We haven't, I haven't done, we've done that with young people at our summer camps before. We've never done it with adults, ever. So how did, what, how did it go? Well, I should ask you that. <laughs> oh, so I'll just describe a little bit. Um, so Jen, so you had finished the, you set up the framework and you finished the lecture and then you passed it over to Jen and Jen, uh, Jenny, Jen? Jen, yeah. Jen Jennifer. said, um, we're going to imagine a world um, where people thrive. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? And then she segmented us into the different kinds of artists that we are. Um, she didn't say theater. <laughs> so uh, theater people got to choose where they were going. So there was a group of visual artists. 
there was a group of um, musicians and um, po- poetry slash lyric uh, song song mm-hmm. writers, um, and then there was a, a group of um, dancers. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't theater. It wasn't. That, a, it wasn't theater. Okay. It, it was like it was ended up being um, physical theater and, and dancers. Um, so I chose that group, and we were given pretty simple directions. Uh, what does it look like for people who move in a world where they thrive? Mm-hmm. And I think there were nine of us, and we sort of eventually got to a place of we had some choreographers, we had some mm-hmm. movers, so th- th- we were democratically sort of saying, okay, well, the choreographers could either come up with stuff, and then mm-hmm. the choreographer said, well, everybody come up with some sort of move. Mm-hmm. Everybody had a move, and then we broke into these trios, and we then were sort of figuring out how to choreograph those those movement pieces. And once we had that, at a certain point, Jenny came over. I don't know what she said to the other people. So, um, Same thing. So she came over to us and said, okay, can you figure out how you, know, how you want to stage this and you can use the entire room if you wish. And so then we started figuring that out and we knew that we wanted to, and there was a stage in the room and we knew at some point we wanted to end on the stage. And then the visual arts artists who were you know, crafting, they were like, oh, we're going to be a forest. Can we be on the stage? And so then they became a part of our choreography um, and so it like with each step and then Jenny would like announce over the meanwhile like music was playing I had no idea what this what the music was like mm-hmm. nobody knew what each other necessarily mm. was doing mm. and and how this was going to be showcased what happened inside my group at least there was um, a lot of yes anding that was happening and a lot of um, and, and then it started getting complicated <laughs> so there was I definitely felt like there was one person who was like like starting to pull away and then I would see people try and bring her back in and and I was sort of like whatever my foot hurts and I don't care this is great and and then and we were bond there were, there were definitely people bonding um and then at a certain point Jen, Jenny said you know we have x amount of time left so now we're gonna put this together and then she sort of just really gently actually um curated mm-hmm just put like staged mm-hmm. the singers were in one place the people who were um, mm-hmm. doing the spoken word were in another place now the visual arts were um, on stage and in, in their little like hopeful force of mm-hmm. like things like empathy and love and then mm-hmm. with all leaves it was very sweet and um, almost mythical and then the dancers sort of became our trio that we were sort of staged around that and there were vocalists and there was there music. were vocalists that's there right were vocalists and there mm-hmm. was there was a there was a there was a thread of a rhythm and melody. Yes. That that somebody did on their computer. They, yeah, they did it on this computer, <laughs> and then that repeated, uh-huh. and and people layered vocals to that and spoken word to that. Yeah. Um, and so you were wa- you were not in it. You were watching. So what was happening? What did you see? What did you- um, what I saw was. Um, the creation of a community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, people did not know each other no. and created something beautiful in 45 minutes. Yeah, and so then we, we, I think there were maybe three people watching it, but we were all in it, Yeah. and we started, and we didn't exactly know where it was going to end, and so at a certain point, it just became very improvisational, yeah. especially for the dancers, because we just kept moving, and, and, and so what did it look like? I wish I could show it to you. Oh. I have a, it, it was that's right because you're in it. You don't you're, get to see uh, yeah. it. Um, so you'll see it actually. We're gonna po- we're gonna send oh, yeah? it to everyone in the oh, link. God, you're gonna see it's beautiful. Great. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It felt good from inside. It, it felt like 
it felt very freeing. It felt, um, uh, almost magical. Um, and, and, um, like not otherworldly, but just, it felt almost utopian. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And the, the process, I mean, we didn't, we could have spent more time, but there are questions about how did it feel? Mm -hmm. What was awkward about it? Something you just said Mm -hmm. that I would have lifted up. Um, we didn't know exactly where this was going, but we just kept moving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's, a, there's all this sort of lessons in creating, right? It's like, yeah, we're, this is where we are now, right? We don't know exactly where this is going, but we just got to keep moving mm-hmm. we, and creating mm-hmm. and keeping a vision of our beauty, right? And so there's so many metaphors that people embodied that are, that are lessons for where we are in our work. Yeah. You know? And, and I love the reflection that we had after... Um, you know, people were really moved and, and, and were feeling it mm-hmm. a, a, a lot. And Jenny sort of broke down how we were we were actually hitting each of the mm-hmm. principles in karma by doing this, by doing that. Of course, I, w- I, I was still kind of elated that I was like, that's brilliant, but I don't remember anything that she said, yeah, really, yeah. except for the relationships. Yeah, yeah. That we had, we had, we had given a job, and so that was sort of transactional, yeah. but eventually we had to get into more transformative, transformative yeah. because we needed to go beyond the trust, that. Trust, right? We have to trust exactly. you. We have to, yeah, all of that stuff, yeah. So how was it? How was it? It uh, I feel really bonded with my group, um, and I felt joy and and love for all the other people who I wasn't necessarily in the group with but in that same room mm-hmm. with um what I what it also said to me was you know I, I have a question for you that I'm not necessarily going to ask it in this way but I was I like where do you see the intersectionality between the work that you do and the arts yeah and you answered it through this this activity yeah, yeah. so I had that question written out before the session yeah and now you know so but to me it says that art is the it, it can be and should be part of the equation for this kind of work yeah I don't think it's just part of the equation. I think it is the model of how we should be thinking about this work because art is the one place where you are trained to create things that don't exist regularly. Mm -hmm. You're trained to create things that don't exist regularly. And that's what we need. That is social change completely. Enough. That is the purity of social change. And so, so I don't. So for me, art is the beacon of what we all need to be thinking about: mm-hmm. the space of imagining and dreaming and creating, um, which, which, which is healing, um, is done regularly in art. <laughs> that is the space. So for me, it was um, serendipitous one. That I was introduced to you and this this arts community, um, but two, it, it it allowed me to understand more clearly how the convergence of healing, social justice, and arts come together, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, what we did on Friday was um, was an experiment, right? Let's let's. Let's mm-hmm. let's let's um, let's try it. Yeah. So yeah, we're gonna do more things like that. So we we have a retreat 
I told you about the retreat. We're gonna yeah. be, we're gonna be working on it. Yeah, we're working on it in Seattle and and, and um, hopefully in New York. Yeah, what we'll be doing. No, I mean, I, I think one of the things is bringing it back to, you know, this is about teaching artistry and um, all I find that all the teaching artists that I work with or teaching artists in general, they are working and they're striving for exactly what you just described, mm-hmm. um, regardless of the type of work that they're doing. That's what they're striving for. And um, had a good question but I lost it um but <laughs> but uh I guess what I'm 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 thinking about is how if I were an artist who have, has just been newly introduced to you how do I and, and I'm supposed to be you know growing in my skill sets right so what are some of the resources that I could be thinking about when I work with young people in whatever capacity I do through the arts mm-hmm. what are some resources that I need to be able to understand how to work with young people mm-hmm. who have uh, trauma, who have mm-hmm. issues um, that I can support without being, um, you know, the expert. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a couple, so I would, of course, I would recommend reading Hope and Healing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and I'm going to, I'm going to, nuance this a little bit. So I think there's particular work that white teachers should be doing mm-hmm. with working with kids of color. Um, and that is becoming not just aware of whiteness, but also able to talk about white privilege mm-hmm. in spaces of color. Like the fluency and ability to do that is um, is not only transformative for white teachers, but also healing for kids of color. So that, and what that means is not just sort of reading, but actually talking about and re- having conversations about privilege, having conversations ongoing um, with other whites and in even communities of color about, you know, white privilege and so forth. From my, my own reflection on that is my ongoing work around sexism, right? And it's not a you know, you don't take a course on becoming anti-sexist. Right. It's a process. Mm-hmm. So that process, I think, for white teachers is ongoing. For, for, for teachers of color, I think it's a similar process about one's racial healing, mm-hmm. right? Where are the spaces in your life where you've been wounded racially um, and you've moved past it? And how do you then use that to to mend where you where you've been harmed, but also use that as a way to reconnect, have conversations with reconnecting with young people. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so I think there are a number of resources that are already out there that do that. We are we are actually in the midst. That's where they're here now. They're actually building this sort of uh, the Flourish agenda is building some toolkits. Mm-hmm. So we, I can't say. You know, go get them because they're not ready yet. <laughs> but soon. But yeah, but yeah. soon those will be ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and there'll be more explicit practices that happen at the individual level, mm-hmm. relationally and in institutions. Um, I also think just, um, you know, be, be take up reading materials and, and, and reading um books and resources that bring that affirm and bring you a sense of joy and imagination right yeah. so i use i was reading a lot of work that was about you know civil rights and the struggle and urban poverty right yeah. and i need to know all that stuff but 
again, that's only one side of the equation. So mm -hmm. I would encourage folks to read things that are inspiring to, mm -hmm. to, to, to invoke an imagination. Um, we're going to come to a starting to wind down. Okay. Um, I, I would love, I would love for you to tell the story, the, the bubble story. Okay. Would you tell that story? You want me to tell the bubble story? I love that story so much. You love the bubble story. Okay, I can tell the bubble story. Um, so the bubble story is I was asked to speak at a prison not far from here. Um, and I had debated whether or not I was going to take that, you know, go and speak. And the woman in the email said 10 men had read your book. Um, will you come speak with them? Um, so Nedra actually prompted me to go say, hey, you need to go talk to the prison, right? So I drove out there on Saturday morning and uh, got to the gate and the correctional officer said that, you know, the 10 men are waiting for you in the cafeteria. You know, you're gonna need to show, you, show us your ID and follow the instructions to the cafeteria so that you can, you know, go meet the men that are waiting for you. And so um, um, she buzzed me in the gate and the first correctional officer said, follow the yellow line to the end of the corridor. So I found the yellow line and I walked all the way to the end of the corridor where the door opened, it buzzed me in, shut behind me, and then I was met with another correctional officer who said, hey, Dr. General, I'm glad you're here. Um, follow the blue line all the way to the end of the corridor. And I followed that blue line to the end of the corridor. That door buzzed open and then shut behind me and was met with another correctional officer who said, hey, just just take this green line to the end of the corridor and we'll, you know, you'll be at the cafeteria. So I've got to that, follow the green line to the end of the corridor, that door opened and shut behind me. And this was the third door that shut. And so when that door shut, um, I shifted, right? And I began to like get, imagine this feeling of insecure, of, of incarceration and, and enclosed and and, and what these men must be experiencing, right? And so I began to get insecure because I was planning on just talking about my book. But what these men were experiencing was so disconnected from what I was going to talk about, I really got insecure about what I would tell them. And so um, I get to the cafeteria, and the correctional officer opens the door, and instead of being 10 men waiting, there were about 200 men in their orange jumpsuits waiting for me. And they came up to me and was, hey, Dr. General, glad you're here. And um, one guy, you know, he came up to me, hey, man, my name is Chris. He said, um, glad you're here, Dr. General. I've been here since 1989. And another brother came up to me, hey, man, my name is Marcus. I've been in here since 1987. And they were really like, I mean, just like it was like no thing. And it just humbled me, completely floored me, like somebody here in this space for over 25 years. And so when I got up to the podium to talk to these 200 men, I didn't know what I was going to say, and so I just kind of talked about stuff from my heart, because I didn't, you know, and I just shared my life with them, and my concerns, my fears, and I said to them um, that you are not whatever brought you here. Whatever you did, you're not that. And whatever you did, there's always, there's always a possibility to be hopeful. And I said some other things, and then they ushered me off the stage, 
And then um, as I was leaving the auditorium, um, I was stopped by a big voice. Brother was like, hey, Dr. G. And I turned around, and this brother was like seven feet tall, 300 pounds. He's huge. And um, he said, hey, I want to let you know, man, that that story you know, that you shared about being hopeful has really, really touched me, man, because you know, being in a place like this is hard. And he had a scar on his face, and he bent down. And he said, you see this scar? People think I'm mean in here because I'm so big. And they, they, you know, they always test me. So about a couple of years ago, I got in a fight, and they cut me. He had a cut on his scar on his face. He said, man, the truth is that I'm not mean. I'm really, I'm really a teddy bear. I'm, I really, I'm really not what people think I am. And in fact, you said we all can stay hopeful. There's something that I do to stay hopeful in a place like this. And I said, well, what is it that you do, man? And he reached into his pocket, and he took out a little bottle, and he opened the bottle, and he blew bubbles. And he said, these bubbles remind me when I was a child. It reminds me of a good time in my life. And so I blow these bubbles every day to remind me of how to stay hopeful and create peace, even in a difficult situation like this. And so that story became the curiosity about how people create hope and possibilities in really difficult situations. And so that's, that's sort of the introduction to the book. I love that story. Tears. <laughs> Shut up, Courtney. <laughs> I love that story. It's a true story. It's a true story. I like telling Have you story. been in touch with that gentleman since? I have. I have. Well, actually... Many of them, they all because you know you give them your cards yeah, and they yeah, yeah. they write. Um, there's still uh, two of them actually um, are out now, and I connected them with some resources. San Francisco State has a program for ex um, for um, formerly incarcerated um, students, mm. and so the formerly incarcerated they can enroll in classes. And the other, I don't know what happened to the the tall brother. I haven't heard from him. Yeah, so. But that idea of um, like there's so many there's so many things in that story the who who you are coming into a space like that mm-hmm. and recognizing that you know a lecture is not what this is Mm-mm. calling for is like that tells me a lot uh, somebody who works in theater and does the work the kind of work that I do is that I have to be responding to what's happening around mm-hmm. me um, and then the 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 fact that these men were coming up to you and telling you and, and forthcomingly telling you, you know, how long they had been there or um, this guy mm-hmm. saying, you know, I, you know, this is what I do to try and keep hope. That means that you touch people, mm. that you are you yourself are creating space to be able to feel comfortable enough to share those more intimate mm-hmm. things, especially the bubbles. I think mm-hmm. that that was a very like that was such a. Um, a clear moment of him realizing that he could be vulnerable with you mm-hmm. um, and sort of let you into something that probably doesn't let many people into at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then then I'm just curious because I, I have been, as, as a woman of color, as a black woman, um, uh, I've been very conscious of who I am in, in many different rooms. And I'm just cu- I'm curious about what that... I'm curious about not just the the acknowledgement of it, but the behavior of it. If that makes any sense. Of what? Uh, well, 
there are times when I'm in a particular room where I may be the only person of color mm-hmm. or the only black person in the room and um, mm-hmm. I may or may not behave differently than I would in any other room, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, and I'm trying to understand why that why that is or when that happens because uh, there are times when sometimes I... I may look back at a certain time and be like, wow, I really just behaved like me and I didn't care and I didn't think anything of it and should I have? Mm-hmm. Or now I'm being real conscious of how I am and I feel inauthentic because I am conscious. And should I be? Does that make sense? Kinda. Uh, yeah. You're being inauthentic because of what? Well, if I'm if I am thinking I'm supposed to behave in a certain manner mm-hmm. in a room with people who are not, uh, not, you know, white people, mm-hmm. basically, white people or people, uh, with great influence or with money or something yeah. like that, the, the economic status sometimes throws me. Yeah. Um, and when I feel like I'm just being me in those same rooms, yeah. I feel very comfortable, but then I might look back and be like, I wonder if that was the way to behave. Oh, you're questioning yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, well, and, one, it's a... What? Sorry, I was going to say, and vice versa, when I'm in neighborhoods that, you know, I am at a, a specific economic level. When I'm in a neighborhood, yeah, it's very obvious, yeah. I think, but I don't necessarily behave any differently. Right. I mean, I'm reading the room and I'm not treating anybody right. disrespectfully or anything like that, but I just, it's clear. Like, yeah. there are times when little girls are just staring at me and I don't exactly know why or what's going on but they are definitely trying to intake and trying to read yeah, me yeah. and so all I do is smile yeah. especially if I'm not like actually teaching yeah. them if I'm just walking in a hallway or something like that but there is a moment where I'm like oh who am I when I walk into this yeah. this place mm-hmm. or that place and and do I do I actually shift and or what do I shift yeah. in order to feel like not a threat in this room yeah. in any way yeah well, I mean, I think it sounds like you have clarity about who you are, right? I mean, and that truth north is really, really important, right? Because we all wear, we all wear roles. We put on different clothes, mm-hmm. right? Which is, you know, what we do, right? But the true, the true north in terms of who you are and your identity and what you represent, that it would seem to me to change that and to become schizophrenic. So your questioning is not a matter of who you are. Your questioning is a matter of should I have changed it in that context? And for me, authenticity is always trumps everything else, right? It's a gift to be authentic in all spaces, to not have to code switch. Mm -hmm. So if you could do it, more power to you. Um, So what that also means is that it comes with consequences, Mm -hmm. right? And so... um, I think the closer you can stay to who you are, the better. You don't go wrong mm-hmm. because who you are is is true north. Also, who you are grows, right? So who you are is not who you're going to be in five years or even one minute from now. Mm-hmm. So also to be conscious about your own growth and incorporating that true, that true person who you are in that growth. Right, so the girl who's reading you, you might, you might go, oh, black girls need to read me. Mm-hmm. They read me to figure out my relationship to them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Courtney two years ago might have been like, 
I'm Court. I don't know what school you went to. I'm Courtney. I'm smart, and I went to Brown University, and I'm a fabulous theater person. Um, that, but you also now read that oh, black girls need to read who I am. So now you might actually say I'm a black woman that loves theater, and I happen to go to Brown. I don't know. I'm just yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'm just kind of guessing here, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But my point is, is that you also factor in who you are into that that growth. So. Yeah, I don't know if I answered your question. No, you did, actually. I've, I've tried to have this conversation with different people, and I don't know if I've articulated it well enough that the kinds of answers that I've gotten have been not helpful, <laughs> frankly. So that was very helpful, actually. And as I'm sort of moving forward in, in this project and in other projects, that's something I want to make sure I'm putting forth first, that I am a black woman um, and... and just in terms of like some of the things that you gave us for um, our, our seven-day diet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, one thing that I'm trying to do is in any, in, in, unless it's a dangerous kind of situation, um, but in any situation when I feel like I'm being read mm-hmm. or in general, I am smiling. Mm-hmm. I'm smiling at whoever that person is. Mm-hmm. It may be brief or it could be lingered, but mm-hmm. there is a, there's something that breaks when you smile at somebody. Mm-hmm. And, and that to me is actually, that's not me having to force it actually. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I can smile at you. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. and something definitely shifts. Mm-hmm. And that for me has been my little tiny piece of hope mm-hmm. that I've been able to bring to myself rather than being like, what the hell? Why are you, why, what, 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 what? Instead it's like, oh, you're reading me. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Hey. Um, and that's been helpful because either that, that lowers a barrier that then we can actually connect in some way, or at least it just it diffuses something that yeah. could have been read, di- read, yeah, read, read differently. differently. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I, I want to say that I can't wait to keep working with you in some capacity. I, I really well, we're can't gonna stress out. enough. Yeah, I get, I, but I can't stress enough of how much your work your way of presenting your work and your way of actually evolving your work has, has influence over the way that I keep thinking about my work. Um, and I hope that it be, you know, this work becomes a, a useful tool for other people beyond the new victory and, and, and such, um, who might be listening to this. Is there anything Great. else that you want to, want to say? That's we it, Courtney. This is good. <laughs> this is good. I really appreciate the, the opportunity to, yeah. to sit here no, and just thank chat. Thank you. Thank you so Next time much. we got to have wine though. But Next it's time. Is but it's, too early. It's, it's a little too early. It's, it's too just, early. <laughs> it's twelve o'clock somewhere now. I'm sorry. Um, thank you so much. All right, Courtney. All right, bye, Sean. Thank you for listening to episode thirteen, Act Two of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Sean Jinwright, Soul Rebel. Join us next time for Act Three. Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the creative content manager. John O. Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org. Follow us on Twitter at TA underscore artistry. And now on Instagram at Teaching Artistry with CJB. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud, subscribe and rate us on iTunes, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now.